Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Here at Back Creek Church, we are focused on connecting people with the hope of the gospel. With this week's message, here's Pastor Matt Carr. We're going to be in John chapter 14. Uh, John chapter 14. We are going to put the main uh, scripture up on the wall behind me, but I would recommend uh, that you get your Bible or your device or uh, the Bible that may be close to you in the pew because we will turn to a few different places uh, today briefly. Um, and I, don't, I, don't, I have no guarantee that those will be on the, uh, on the wall behind me because I didn't let anybody know. Um, we're going to be looking at John 14. It's our third week in, in John 14 uh, in our last one, but we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6. John 14, 1 through 6. It is the night before Jesus is going to the cross. And Jesus has been telling his disciples that he is going away from them, that he is going to the Father. And the men who are with Jesus are those who have been with him, have followed him for three years. Jesus changed everything about their lives, he is their friend. He's their teacher, he's their mentor and their master, and he is their Messiah. Hearing that Jesus will no longer be with them is discouraging and distressing and disorienting for the apostles. They had to be thinking, what are we going to do now? The one who has brought meaning and purpose into our lives and into the world The one who has shown us what God is really like, the one that we have come to love so much, is leaving. And Peter, in his fear and in his confusion, speaks up because Peter's usually the one who speaks up. He's impulsive and he says, Lord, I will follow you. Can I follow you? I will follow you anywhere. I will follow you even to my death. So don't say that we can't go where you're going to go, at least not right now. I will follow you. And Jesus says, will you, Peter? No. As a matter of fact, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. And Jesus knows that this this news that he is going away and that it is imminent. This news that if Peter is going to deny him and if Judas is going to betray him, then surely all of the rest of the apostles are going to be scattered. Jesus knows that the apostles are devastated by this news. And so the Lord speaks to their anxious hearts with a promise for them and for us. And maybe today, like them, you have an anxious heart. Maybe you have a struggling spirit. Maybe you have a will that right now is constantly giving in to sin, and it seems like the cycle is hopeless to ever break. But the disciples can certainly relate to wherever you are right now on this particular night. And Jesus speaks to their anxious, borderline, despairing hearts. And he gives this promise that is for them, but it's also for us, those who would believe through his word. And Jesus' promise is this, that he's not just going away from us. He's going to prepare a place for us. 
Jesus is not just going away from us. He's going to prepare a a place for us. So if you're able, please stand in honor of God's word. We're going to read John 14, 1 through 6. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word and ask for his help. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that in our worship, in the prayers and the songs of praise, in our reading and hearing of your word, in the sacraments that we witness and partake of, oh Lord our God, that you would give us a taste of the place that you have prepared for us. Lord, help us to meditate on it. Help us to long for it. Oh Lord, let it make such an imprint on us that we live in this world as citizens of that place. And thereby, oh Lord, bring the good news to all that we come in contact with. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true, that it's trustworthy, that it's powerful to do what you intend. And so we look to you now to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we do so in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. You may be seated. The Germans uh, have a, a concept. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce it correctly, but the concept is Fjernweh. And it means a feeling of homesickness for a place that you have never been. A feeling of homesickness for a place that you have never been. And we may feel something like that for places that we have never been in this world. For me, it's Fiji or Australia uh, or uh, maybe whatever part of England is the setting for all creatures great and small. Um. You know, for me also, it's Middle Earth, but I didn't want to tell you all that because I'm too, I didn't want you to think that I'm a nerd, but I am. Um, but those places that we think of, those places that we feel that, that homesickness, that longing for a place that we have never been, those are only but whispers of the place that Jesus has promised to prepare for us. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Our whole education, and by that he doesn't just mean, you know, elementary school through uh, high school or or college or or grad school. He means the education that we receive both formally and informally as our parents raise us and we live life in this world. Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. When the real want for heaven is present in us, we do not recognize it. Most people if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. 
There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you. But they never quite keep their promise. If we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for another world. The longings of our hearts, the fjernve that we can't explain, it tells us that. Now, I have heard people use the expression that someone is too heavenly-minded for them to be any earthly good. But I'll tell you, I've never met a single person actually like that. I've never met someone who was too heavenly-minded. The vast majority of us are quite the contrary. We're laser-focused on this world, this world that Scripture tells us is passing away, and we spend very little time thinking about that other world. The times that we think most about it are when someone that we know and or someone that we love dies. And when that happens, when someone that we love passes away, we try to avoid using that as an opportunity to meditate on our own mortality and destiny or even the person who has passed away. We don't engage very deeply there. We express our sympathy and we often use bland cliches In fact, bland cliches that we may or may not know are actually true. Things like, well, she's in a better place. And we do it without seriously considering that there is, in fact, a place that we go after we die. Our bodies go into the ground where they await the resurrection. But our souls, they go to a place. And they go to a real place. Matter of fact, they go to one of two places. They will either go to the blessedness of heaven or to the condemnation of hell. And those are real places. Spiritual but temporal places. And we will enter one of them when we die. And one of them is the world or at least the forerunner of the world for which we were created. And Jesus gives the promise that for whoever believes in him, he says right at the beginning, believe in God, believe also in me. First, this is a claim that Jesus is himself God, but it's also a call to faith in him. For all who believe in Jesus, there is a place for us in eternity. And I want us to spend some time really thinking about that place. What kind of place is it? I just want to draw out four truths from this passage about that place. First, it is a perfect place. It is a perfect place. Jesus uses the metaphor of a house to talk about this place. And we know that it is a perfect place because of who the house belongs to. Whose house is it? It's God's house. In my Father's house are many rooms. It's the Father's house. This place is God's house. And and if it's God's house, the house of the living and true God, if, if it's the home of the perfect God, then it also must be a perfect house. 
Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock whose works are perfect. All his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. Psalm 18.30, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Habakkuk 1.13, O Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And then, of course, Jesus in Matthew 5.18, talking about how it is that we can get to heaven and revealing that we can't get to heaven apart from him and the righteousness that he alone provides, says, Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We can only go to heaven The perfect place, if we ourselves are perfect, we can only be perfect in Jesus because he alone is perfect. The perfections of God are reflected in the place where he dwells. Heaven is a morally perfect place where there is no sin and there is no curse and there is no darkness at all. And yet, when we who in reality are sinful When we who are united to Christ by faith and have his righteousness covering us, when we enter into that place, what happens to us? Our souls are immediately made perfect in righteousness so that we can take a perfect place in the perfect place as we pass into glory. And there there is no sin and there is no shame and there is no sorrow. And heaven is not only morally perfect, but perfect in beauty and perfect in joy and perfect in peace and perfect in love as is the God who dwells there. We heard it this morning in our call to worship. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. It goes on to say this in that same psalm. For one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I just want to ask you, can you imagine a place so perfect in loveliness that you would rather have only one day there than a thousand days anywhere else? What place could be so lovely that you would immediately take one day there than a thousand days in Fiji? Or whatever strikes your fancy. This is not the way that we've been conditioned to think about heaven. When we think about heaven, we think about clouds and harps and halos and basically anything boring that you can think of. And that's not the perfect place that Jesus promises. One of my favorite book series tries to get at the perfection of the place that Jesus is preparing for us. And it says of the characters in that story, all of their life in this world and all of their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. It goes on forever. And it goes on forever because heaven is not only a perfect place, it's also a permanent place. Heaven is a permanent place. The use of the word house, oikos in Greek, here is meant to communicate a sense of permanence 
a dwelling place, a home, a place where you live. And I, I just want to read uh, from Scripture. This is what I, I mentioned uh, at the top. Um, three passages that teach us about the permanence of heaven. That teach us about the permanence of heaven. And this is what I mean. You know, I'm about to read three consecutive passages of Scripture. And I know that for some of us, myself included at times, it can be a struggle for us to be attentive to God's word if we're reading maybe more than just a few verses at a time. But we should consider that first, this is the very word of God, that God himself is speaking to us. And so we, we, we should listen. And second of all, that God is speaking to us about the place where we will spend eternity, the place that one day is better than a thousand days elsewhere. And we should listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, speaking of the body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, eternal, permanent. For in this tent, this body, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, that, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Eternal in the heavens is this place. 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18 but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then Revelation 21, 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God, the house of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, here's the reality of the permanence of heaven. Either... We will go, we will die and go to heaven. Or uh, where we await Jesus' return and our resurrection. 
or we will be left alive until Jesus returns. And when he does, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are left, we will be changed and caught up to meet him in the air so that like them, we will always be with the Lord. And when Jesus returns, he will consume what is gone and make new all creation, heaven and earth, and earth will merge with heaven. Heaven is a perfect place. It is a permanent place. Thirdly, we see that heaven is a plenteous place. Heaven is a, or plentiful place. Jesus says, in my Father's house are a few rooms. My Father's house are Many rooms. That speaks to the graciousness and the love of our great God. The way that he lavishes on sinners. The good news of salvation. When I was a a teenager, uh, a band named Audio Adrenaline came out with a song that we then appropriated and began to sing in, in youth group. It says, come and go with me to my father's house. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. There's a big, big yard where we can play football. It's a big, big house. It's my father's house. Come and go with me to my father's house. What good news it is for us that in our father's house there are plentiful rooms. That means that there is room for me. That lowly and sinful though I am, my Lord has prepared a place for me. And there is a room there in his house for me. It means that there is room for you. One commentator says it like this, there is room to spare for all the redeemed in heaven. And that means that there is also plenty of room for our neighbors who do not yet know Jesus There is hope in our mission in this world that the Lord would use us, even us, to fill up that house, to fill up those rooms. And the rooms are just the beginning of the plenteousness of the place that Jesus promises. There we will have infinitely more of everything that we could ever begin to exhaust. Revelation 21, 6, a little later than the passage that we read, it says, To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Every good thing will be given to us and will be given to us freely. It is a plenteous, permanent, perfect place. Fourthly, and lastly, it's a prepared place place. It's a prepared place. Some of the most beautiful words that we could ever hear from our Lord Jesus. I go to prepare a place for you. The last two weeks we've been looking at this same chapter and we've seen reasons why Jesus could tell his apostles in chapter 16, it is to your advantage that I go away. In 14, he tells us that it's to our advantage because we will do greater works because he goes to the Father. That we will have the Holy Spirit because he goes to the Father. 
Now yet another reason it is advantageous to us and for us that Jesus ascended. He goes to prepare a place for us. I haven't been everywhere, but I've been quite a number of places. And I will tell you that I have never experienced hospitality the way that I have on the mission field. And particularly on the mission field in the most impoverished of places. That the moment I arrive, before they know my name or have seen my face, that they have thought about me. And they welcome me into their home or into their gathering space where they have a table prepared with their very best. That they would sleep on the floor so that I can have the bed, so that I can have this place intentionally and lovingly prepared for me, even if it's all that they have. And this is just a picture of what Jesus is doing for us. He has gone before us to his father's house to intentionally and lovingly get our rooms ready. He is preparing to give us his best, which is himself, and to do that for eternity. Jesus came into the world to make a way for you to go to the place for which you were created. And through his life and death and resurrection for you, he he prepared you for that place. Through what he did in his incarnation, his life of righteousness that you could never live, his death that you deserved, his resurrection that guarantees victory over sin and Satan and death. By all of these things, Jesus has prepared you for that place. And now in his ascension, He has gone before you to heaven to prepare that place for you. He's already prepared you for the place, and he has gone to prepare the place for you. And he's doing it right now. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is right now thinking of you, praying for you, preparing intentionally and lovingly a place for you. Heaven is a perfect, permanent, plentiful, prepared place. But I want us to hear this very, very clearly. None of that matters apart from the person and the presence of Jesus. None of that matters apart from the person and the presence of Jesus. The person of Jesus because there is no way to have either the promise or the place apart from the person of Jesus. You must have a relationship with Jesus to receive this promise, to go to this wonderful place. In John's Gospel, thus far, Jesus has made many I am statements. You remember that God himself, when Moses said, uh, who should I tell the people of Israel sent me to ask Pharaoh for your release? The Lord said, tell them I am. Jesus is in a manner claiming divinity for himself when he makes these I am statements, but he's also stating clearly realities about our salvation that he has accomplished. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate of the sheep pen. I am the resurrection and the life. And here in John 4 through 6, 
He says, you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. You cannot go to the Father or the place that He has prepared apart from Him. There is no path to God or to heaven apart from the person of Jesus Christ. I would ask you, do you have a relationship with Jesus wherein you have received Him as your Savior and as your Lord, and wherein you are resting in Him alone for your salvation and your destiny. Do you have that relationship with Christ? If you do have that relationship, then you know that the true appeal of heaven is not all the wonderful things that we have just said about it, as amazing as they are. The real glory and wonder of heaven is that there we will be able to enjoy the presence of Jesus forever. That Jesus himself is the goal, that Jesus is the prize, that Jesus is the treasure worth everything. Everyone. Everyone who comes to the Father through Jesus knows that home is wherever Jesus is. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He wants us to be with him. And we, bought with his blood, want to spend eternity with him. And a love for us. Jesus has given us a sign. A sign, a sacrament by which in his physical absence from us, we are assured of his spiritual presence with us and in us as we partake of him by faith. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And this supper is not only a sign that Jesus is with us, that we can feed on him spiritually through this supper, it's also a foretaste of the place that Jesus has gone to prepare. When Jesus instituted this sacrament with his apostles, he made a promise to them, looking forward to the day that we will all be with him together in that place and we will feast in the house of Zion. Let's give thanks to the Lord together. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness and your grace in giving to us this sacrament, this table, this foretaste of the age to come, this proclamation of the gospel, this remembrance of your sacrifice, this means of grace that transforms our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, use this powerfully in our lives and in the week to come. Lord, in our private worship and devotion to you, in our family times of 
being in your word together and prayer. Lord, as, as we gather next week as a church and in all our dealings in between, oh Lord our God, we pray that the gospel uh, that gives us good news of a place purchased and prepared for us, oh Lord, that it would buoy us in the struggles and the sorrows of this coming week. That it would move us and motivate us toward those who are yet without hope and without God in the world. And Lord, let the good news about salvation that is free be on our lips. And Lord, may they be empowered by your spirit. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You can find additional sermons and learn more about our ministries by heading to backcreekchurch.org. We'd love to see you in person for our worship service at 1030 on Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thanks for listening.